Welcome to the weekly podcast from Spring of Life Church, located in the heart of downtown Portland. We hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. For more information, visit us at springoflifepdx.com. What do you think of when you hear the word infectious? You don't have to say it out loud, but you hear the word infectious... And it, it can bring out a negative mindset or it can bring out a, a positive thing. If you pay attention to sports, you will also often hear a coach say that winning is infectious. That if a team is winning or playing well, it's contagious or it's infectious. It, it, it carries over. And conversely, if a team is playing bad or losing, that is also infectious, unfortunately. Um, negativity can be an infectious thing. In work environments, you can have the same thing. You can have an infectious work environment in a good way, or you can have an infectious work environment in a bad way. And we will all opt, I think, for the good way. You want to be around those kinds of people and catch what they have. If you go to the doctor with an illness, if you have a cold, if you have the flu, or Something's going on. You go to the doctor, or if you have children and you have young children, you take them to the doctor, and they've got you know yellow crud coming out of their nose and all this stuff, and they're coughing and hacking with their mouth open. And really, what you want to know from the doctor is, are they what contagious? Like, if I get around that kid, will I get what they have? Or if someone gets around me, will they get what I have? So contagious. There's also been a lot of really Eh, good or bad movies, however you want to look at it, uh, great movies or greatly bad movies that have been made about contagion or contagious. In fact, one of them is called Contagion. Yeah, We've, World War Z is about something infectious. Uh, outbreak. There's a movie called Outbreak that's about this outbreak or pandemic. Is another one. I mean, when I googled that, I was like, I can't believe how many movies were made about. The world's going to die because of infection, and oh my goodness, somebody's got to save it. And they always do, because we're still here, right? Okay, so that's good. The word contagious, let me give you a definition. The word contagious is defined as communicable by contact. It's something that can be passed on to someone else by touching them. Okay? If you read the Bible, if you read in throughout the New Testament... You're going to see that over and over again, God makes it clear that if I am a Christian, if I am a follower of Jesus, I should be contagious. That should be a part of what other people catch from me when they get near me or get around me in some way that I should be contagious with my faith. I need to touch people in such a way that I'm around that that I pass on what I have, even just naturally that they're going to catch what I have. I believe that Jesus, when Jesus comes into our lives, he brings with him into our lives through the Holy Spirit a desire to influence other people. Now, that said, I can be broken and still have influence in other people because it's actually through my brokenness that I realize that I need Jesus, and because of that I have hope, and therefore I have something to share. Not because I have my act together, not because there's nothing wrong with me, but because I have hope in the person who does, in essence, fix me internally and help me and give me hope. 
Who of you, if you are a follower of Jesus, and again, you don't have to raise your hand or shout out loud, although you're welcome to, but who of you became a Christian by hearing someone preach on a corner? In fact, I'd be interested. Anybody become a Christian like that? In, I, we lived in London. Ken and I lived in London for eight years, and they have what's called Speaker's Corner in, in London, in Hyde Park in London. And these preachers go out, and they literally get up on a box, and they'll preach, and they'll start just really getting after it and getting going. And they'll get into arguments with people, and this good, great. I love that kind of stuff, actually. It's, I, I love the, you know, the interaction and the debate. But uh, you don't really, I don't think, see many people come to faith in Jesus right then. Probably some do but not very many. The vast majority of Christians come into a personal relationship with God as a result of influence over a period of time. Even people that go to church and hear about Jesus, what we call the gospel, for the very first time, typically don't come, don't don't embrace that for themselves the first time they hear it. It comes over a long period of time And finally, they come to a point of decision. A person comes to a point of decision after being influenced, after searching and questioning and wondering and then being influenced by other people that they're watching and they see something different in their lives. And as a result, things begin to work and the Holy Spirit works inside of you and kind of opens your mind up and helps people to realize, I need what that person has. I need the truth of what they're talking about. And there's this influence that goes on in their lives, and they say, I need this, and I, 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 see what, I need what I see in these other people. So you can just think about, in your own life, maybe there's been one or two or three people that have influenced you in such a way, or did influence you in such a way, that it led you to the place of making a final decision to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to become a Christian. I'm going to become a follower of Jesus. Are you grateful for those people? As you think about those people, are you grateful for them? Of course you are. Extremely thankful for those people. It's the most important decision any of us ever make. And it directly affects our life both here on earth, but also for what is eternity. What is life after there is no physical life anymore on this earth. And I really strongly believe that it's God's desire not only for you to become a follower of Jesus but for you to have a contagious faith. To be a follower of Jesus in such a way that people see you and be around you and catch what you have. This morning we're looking at the first chapter of a book called Romans. It's actually a letter. It's in the New Testament. And it's Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to take the time to read the whole section for you. We're going to go through a little bit of it, uh, several different parts of, of Romans. But it, it, it's talking about a, a faith that is contagious. The guy that wrote it, Paul, next to Jesus, was probably, well, he was the most influential person in the beginning of Christianity in the, in the history of the world. He had influence over multiple thousands, and I would say millions and even There's over a billion Christians in the world today, so he has influence in that realm. He wrote most of the New Testament, including this book or this letter to the churches in Rome. He established the first churches in the Roman Empire. He was just a great man of God that became a man of God after some sordid background. He was a broken man. 
Romans 1, 1 through 16 is kind of a mini autobiography of Paul. And from Paul, we learn some principles for having a faith that's contagious. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're just going to walk through what these principles are. And the first one is this. If I want to have a faith that is contagious, I need to clarify my relationship with Jesus. To be a, a, a Christian that is contagious, infectious, I need to clarify my relationship with Jesus. It says in verse 1 of, of Romans 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. So Paul says some things about himself, even in that very first verse, that are helpful for us, I think, in wanting to be infectious followers of Jesus, having a contagious faith. First, he says he's a servant. He was born a free man because he was born as a Roman. He was a Jewish man, but he was born as a Roman. And that made him free. But now he says, I see myself as a servant. So we look at that, and I would say to us, every one of us is a servant. We're a servant to something. You may be a servant to material possessions, things, money, people, we're a, or, or just even our own stuff that's inside of us, that we become a slave or a servant to something in life. Everyone has a master. But Paul, what Paul did is he says, I changed my master. I'm going to be a servant to something, so I'm going to be a servant to Jesus. And as you read through this letter, he wrote, you see that he was a slave to sin and to legalism. And, said, and, and now he says, I'm gladly here a slave to Jesus Christ. Gladly. Paul says he's a servant to Jesus. And then he says he's also called to do what he does. He didn't volunteer for his assignment. Paul has a great story in the ninth chapter of Acts, how he actually became a follower of Jesus. If you've never read that, just it's a real fun read, simple read, crazy read. You could make a movie out of it kind of a thing where he's on his road and he gets blinded and God talks to him. And it's like, whoa, and becomes a follower of Jesus. And he says, I didn't ask for that. I wasn't looking for that. God called me, grabbed me. He said, I, I have something for you. And, and then he was kind of commissioned to go. So there's a sense of, for each one of us, when we become followers of Jesus, we're, we're called by God. He's, he, that's a really cool thing if you stop and think about it, isn't it? That the God of the universe who made all things, the creator of the world who is a personal God, knows your name, and doesn't just know your name. Just doesn't, It's not like he goes down a roster and goes, oh yeah, I, I remember them. No, he knows your name. And he says, I, I'm calling you to me. That's just a really cool thing. And so Paul got to experience that, and he says, I'm called. Now, you may or may not be called to be an apostle, but we're all called to have a faith that's contagious. We're called to be representatives of God in this world. We're called to do something based on our gifts and our talents that have been given to us in life. And we do all have gifts and talents. Some of them may be buried, but we have them. So he says he's a servant, he says he's called, and then he says he's been set apart. So God called him in a very specific way and set him apart to do a very specific thing. And set apart here means streamlined or intentionally narrowed down. So Paul was set apart. God called him, and here he is, and he's streamlining everything down, and he was set apart for the gospel. So it's just really cool to look at how Paul walked through all this 
Paul was called, streamlined, set apart for spreading the good news of Jesus. That's his thing. That's what he did. He's saying, I can do lots of things, but they all relate to this one thing. That's my life. I'm going to be contagious for Jesus. I'm going to share the gospel. So Paul clarified his relationship, which is something that we all need to be challenged to do. What is my relationship with God through Jesus? I want to clarify that. I am called to live my life to make him known in whatever way that might look like. That's a pretty cool opportunity that it's, it, you can just go live your life walking with God, learning of God, and letting that be known. So I want to clarify the call. That's what Paul talks about. We need to realize that we're servants, that we're called, and that we're set apart. Here's a second principle. If I want to build up and, build up and develop a faith that's contagious, I need to understand the gospel. What is the gospel? It's a word that, kind of a churchy word that we use, but we want to make sure that we understand what we're saying when we use the word gospel. The word gospel means good news. That's all it means. There's a good news. It's not a church term. It's just a Greek word. And it represented who Jesus is. And so we have... We have personalized it and capitalized the word with a capital G so that the gospel means the story of Jesus Christ, which is the best news in the world. It meant, gospel wasn't necessarily a religious word at the time, it just meant, I've got good news. So, every one of us has shared the gospel at some time in our lives. It may not be the gospel of Jesus, but you've shared the gospel. I just We were just in Vancouver, B.C. this last week, and on Monday night... Our son-in-law graduated from Regent College Seminary, uh, theological school seminary with a master's in theological studies. He took like one or two classes per semester for seven years. That's a long time. And he finally graduated. And when he finished walking across the stage, it was funny because the speaker called all the people that they, he was talking to graduands. I'd never heard this before, but a graduate is someone that is going to graduate but hasn't yet graduated. So you can't be a graduate. You're a graduate. No big deal, right? So anyway, when he's done, what's the good news there? What's the gospel there that he can say after he walked across that stage? I am a graduate. That's good news. That's the gospel. It's truth. It's the good news that is true. I'm a graduate. Some of you have had children. Some of you ladies have had children. And you went to the doctor or you got a pregnancy test and you found out that you were pregnant. And you said, I'm pregnant. Or you said, I'm pregnant. It could have been one or the other. But if you're excited to be pregnant, then you say, I'm pregnant. That's good news. It's the gospel. And we can think of all kinds of examples of what that would be. But the, the main point is that Paul's message isn't just any gospel here it's the gospel of jesus jesus claims to be the hope of the world i believe that i live that i want that that's good news to me so the gospel that we have today isn't just a word it's a person understand the gospel what is the gospel the gospel is a person it's the person of jesus and it's centered in god's son if you take buddha out of Buddhism, you still have an attractive philosophy. 
if you take any significant character out of the religion that they're associated with, there will still be a set of rules and a set of guidelines to go by that can be attractive, that can be appealing to people. But if you take Jesus out of Christianity, you have nothing. It's dependent upon him, that person. He is good news. Apart from him, there is nothing to do with Christianity because Christianity is not a religion as we would call it. It's a relationship. It's a personal relationship with God through Jesus. And the really good news, Paul says, is that it's the gospel of grace. And this is where the brokenness comes in. That it doesn't matter how broken and needy we are. It doesn't matter how many times our brokenness shows up in the morning or takes us through the entire day. That his grace still covers that. Because his great grace is about what we get from God without deserving it. So it's a gospel of grace. That's the really good news. To become a Christian who has a contagious faith, I need to understand what the gospel is. It's the good news of Jesus, and that's what Paul, in his writing here, was sold out to. In Acts 20, verse 24, Paul said, However I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. That's a lot of words to say, wow, life is all about me just testifying to who God is in this world in Jesus. And if you ever read Paul's background, you'll know that's a big deal coming from him. That's a total change in life. So those are two of the principles. Here's the third principle. I need to embrace the value of other people. If, if I want to have a faith that's infectious or contagious, I need to embrace the value of other people. In verse 8, Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. I love that. I thank God for every one of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. Do you want to influence people? Do you want to have an impact in someone's life? Then you need to become an encourager. You need to be a person who affirms, who encourages other people. I think there's plenty of critics around, and it doesn't take any effort or education or knowledge to be a critic. It just takes an opinion. And typically those opinions are uninformed because it's easy for us to criticize. And Paul is saying here, if we're going to value people, we're going to affirm them. We're going to encourage them. We're going to find ways to encourage. We're going to purpose to think and see people and value people in such a way that we encourage. You build people up by lifting them up. A word of gratitude or praise. A thank you. And, and, and I would say even to let people know, I see you. You know how valuable it is to look in someone's eyes and let them know, I see you. I see you as a person. You know, we have so many people who are on the streets here. And, and sometimes we can be so intimidated by that. We, we talk about that a lot in our church, about the value of people that we're in the middle of. 
And sometimes the only thing that we have to offer a person like that is a look in the eye and a recognition. I see you and you are valued and I'm just not going to look past you. But that's true for each one of us in this room as well. We come into these rooms and hear a message, but we come in as broken people. And so much of what we're coming in here with is our own stuff. Yeah? Most of us don't come in here all excited about what we're going to give out to one another. Is that what excites you in the morning on Sunday when you get up and get ready to come to Spring of Life? Oh, man, I'm stoked. I get to go and give out to somebody today, right? You don't do that. Don't lie. We've got stuff and we come and we need somebody to recognize us and see our stuff, even if they don't know what our stuff is, just that they see us. Yeah. We do that for each other. We have this great opportunity to do that for one another. So we're going to purpose to value, find, embrace the value of other people and know that we're all really coming from the same place, no matter what the facade might. We're all broken people that need to be fixed, and Jesus values all of us. These Christians in Rome had this, had this world-famous faith. It was known all over the world, Paul says in that verse, in verse 8. Everyone knew about them. Rome wasn't the easiest place to be a Christian, just like Portland isn't the easiest place to be a Christian. There's conflict, there's people that hate us. There's people that don't believe us. There's people that have a misconception of what a Christian is and what the gospel is and they don't want and the church is and they don't want anything to do with it for good reason. And so we come and we embrace people and we love people and we know what the true gospel is and we understand it and we clarify it so that we give it out in love and grace, which is what Jesus is all about. You don't develop a contagious faith on your own. It takes community. It takes a church family that works together to develop a faith that can be infectious. What do you think a church ought to be known for? We've got a, we're planting a church. We're starting a church here. What should we be known for? We could it'd be really cool. Everybody write something down on a piece of paper. Here's what we should be known for. Should we be known as this great big mega church sometime? Is that our goal? I love where we get to meet, but should we be known for this building? Should we be known for the teaching of Aaron? We've got this awesome pastor, man. He just he brings it. For our worship, what should we be known for? What were these people known for? The answer is our church should be known for whoever and whatever you are. Our church is us. Whoever of us would say we're spring of life, that's what we're known for. Because we go from here to there, to there. And that's where we take the church. We go and we embrace other people and we value other people with the love of God inside of us. And we represent, we are the church in the world. The church is people. And whatever we are is what our reputation will be in the city. We need to be a community with a mission of taking the grace of God to people. The church in Rome was known for its faith, faith and love. That's what God's church should be known for. I think that's what makes our faith contagious. Yeah. And we need each other to encourage and love each other in whatever way that needs to happen 
in order for us to be that kind of a church. So we embrace the value of other people. And then here's the last principle that Paul, that I pulled out of what Paul says. There's, I'm sure, a lot more principles here. But the last one is, I need to have the right motives in sharing my faith. To have an infectious faith, my motives need to be right. In verses 14 through 16, so we're going to skip all the way kind of toward the middle. I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks. He was a, Paul was a Jew, Israelite. But he says, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, which was a big deal in the first century, to be honest, when the church was just getting started, when Christianity was just getting going. Both to the wise and the foolish. This is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Man, this was a cultural shift in the first century. And Paul's just speaking out this bold stuff that people are wagging their heads at him. Many are. And others are just loving it, where it's coming from. In these verses, you see the key to Paul's heart for having a faith that's contagious. Paul is obligated, it says in verse 14. He doesn't leave anyone out here, first for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. He's obligated to all people. So he's, he's got this discovery that he's made about where tr- truth and life comes from. He's obligated to share that. You know, like if, if you were a researcher or a scientist or whatever and you discovered a cure for cancer, any kind of cancer, do you hold that to yourself? No. You're obligated. You go share it. You take it out. You reveal it. You make it known. You have an obligation to do something with that discovery. If you have Christ in your life, then you are obligated to share him. And don't, when I say that, don't, don't automatically think you've got to go on a corner and start sharing Christ. We're going to live our lives in such a way, and we're going to speak it out when a time comes. But we, we share who Jesus is in us. You and I are responsible to tell the gospel. That's the greatest thing that we could do for someone. Tell them the gospel. Tell them the truth of who Jesus is. The people around you in life people that you work with, the people that you are around, who is responsible for telling them about the gospel of Jesus? I'm going to call Aaron. He's the pastor. And ask him to come tell my friends. I'm responsible. I'm responsible for that. Paul's obligated to this. In Acts 1.8, it, it, it says... When the Holy Spirit comes, you will see power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and all the regions of the world. And he talks about starting right where you are, in Jerusalem. So we have this obligation that we're supposed to share with the people that we're closest to. We're supposed to live our lives in a way that we share it. But it's not enough just to be obligated, right? You can have an obligation and have the attitude that, well, I guess I have to go share the gospel with my friends. I guess I have to go to this. You know, it can be resistant. We want to have an exciting. And Paul was eager. Paul says in verse 15, that's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. I'm eager. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. It wasn't a duty. It was a privilege. It was an opportunity. 
We need to believe in what we are sharing committed to. Paul is totally committed to the gospel. He's excited about it. He's eager and he's ready. It's the greatest thing in the world to share Christ with somebody. The Bible says in Luke chapter 15, verse 10, that when one person becomes a follower of Jesus and says yes to Jesus, they throw a party in heaven. It'd be hard, it's hard for me to really picture what that party might look like. Maybe it would depend on which angels are coming or the people that are there. I don't know who's in charge of the party. I don't know how that works. But there's a party. It's a celebration. One person, which means there's a bunch of parties that go on a lot in heaven. So you ever think of heaven as a party place? I think it is all the time because people hear about Jesus and the good news of Jesus and they embrace it. And man, there's celebration again. So he's eager. And then Paul says in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of what it is. He's talking about his confidence. He's saying, I'm not ashamed. His emphasis is understatement. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's so strong there, though, it's just really an understatement in the, in the language of the original time. It's a severe understatement. It's like kind of saying, you know, LeBron James, he's okay. He's the greatest basketball player probably that's ever played. He's okay, right? That's kind of how it is, what Paul's saying here. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm raising from the rooftops that I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul was bold and he was proud of what he had to share. So we, we take that and we apply that to our own lives and say, wow, am I embarrassed by that? Or am I ashamed of that? Am I resistant to that? Or do I try to hide that? To be known as a Christian at work or fearful of rejection or maybe being unpopular or even not knowing Somebody asked me about Christianity. I, I don't know what I would say. I don't have the knowledge. Paul says, I'm not ashamed, and here's why. He says, the gospel is the powerful. Just the name of Jesus. You know, when I, I, I really believe that when a person does this kind of thing, where they stand up in front of people, if they, a lot of people can talk about themselves. I would tell you that you don't want to hear me talk very much about myself. To be honest, my life is kind of boring. Jesus is exciting. So we talk about him. And that's what Paul says. Paul says he's, it's just powerful stuff. The word for power in the Greek is, means dynamite. It means dynamite. It's powerful. The gospel is dynamite. It's man's only hope. It's the power of God to change lives. Did the gospel change Paul's life? Read Acts 9 and go forward. This guy's 180 degrees different than who he was. It's powerful. Has Jesus changed your life? That's the big point today. Has Jesus changed your life? He's changed my life. He's changing my life every day. Because I'm not there yet. But he's changing it every single day. If something can change your life, that's powerful. Something that can change a person's life for eternity is God, God-sized. So the gospel is powerful. It's universal. He says, in, again, in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. 
First, he gave his message of hope and forgiveness to his chosen people, which were the Israelites. They rejected it. And he says, I'm going to give it to the Gentiles, which just basically means the rest of the world. And he took it out there to the rest of the world. The gospel is for everyone, and that's who we're supposed to take it to. And then it's simple. It's simple. The gospel is simple. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You only need to believe. God, I think, made the gospel simple because he wanted people not to be able to say, this is too hard for me to understand. Jesus is the son of God. He came and he took on himself the sins of the entire world and died for us so that we could be rightly related to God. It's as simple as that. If I believe that, embrace that, and receive that, it's mine. It's simple. Anyone can share the gospel because you can say, I believe. I believe. So we learn so much in this chapter, in this first part from Paul's example, things that apply to our own lives. How can you have influence in your world? Nobody made a greater impact than Paul. How can we do that in our world? We do these things that Paul did. We follow this example of what he said and trust that in that, our faith will be contagious. It's a great opportunity that we have. Pray with me, would you? Lord Jesus, you're, um, <clears throat> you are our hope. You're our answer. And we cry that out. We say that to you. Some of us with exuberance and some of us with pain and suffering and hurt. Jesus, thank you that you came into this world to address the things of our lives and that as we go in you because of you we can be influential we can be infectious and contagious and so from today and tomorrow and the rest of this week God, remind us of that Lord we pray that you would remind us of just walking with you and letting you pour out of us to others. We thank you for who you are, Jesus, that you've given yourself for us. We love you, and in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast of Spring of Life Church, where our mission is to invite thirsty people to become disciples of Jesus. For more information or to plan a visit to our church in Portland, visit us at springoflifepdx.com.